Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about the racing news of the week. Joining me in the studio, Richard Uden and Louise Torres. Guys, how are we? Good, thank you. Pretty dandy. All right, so we uh kind of an overall quiet weekend of racing there with... Uh, uh, you know the the Cup Series was in action at Bristol, uh, as as were the uh, the Junior Series there. Um, that was Saturday, so they left, left Sunday wide open for uh, you know a whole bunch of football games plus Le Mans going on, which uh, uh, taking up most of the weekend. You know a lot of times the other series kind of leave that weekend free in case your guys want to compete at Le Mans, and we had a, we had a couple guys compete over there. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, you know we want to talk about some of the. Um, some of the off-track uh, silly season kind of stuff because we're getting getting more and more announcements uh, just coming through. And today, um, kind of a, uh, not really a shocker uh, that Zach Veach will not be back uh, with Andretti Autosport next year. But it is a bit of a shocker that he won't be back at Andretti Autosport at the next race. Um, the, uh, the way the press release reads... Uh, is that uh, they informed uh, Zach they would no longer be needing his services in 2021. Um, his contract was up. Um, and then Zach gracefully decided to step aside for the last three races of the season to allow them to evaluate another driver for their 2021 plans while he begins to evaluate his own 2021 pa- plans. And then the press release went on to say, uh, Zach saying lots of nice stuff about Michael and Michael saying lots of nice stuff about Zach, which all sounds good in a press release and on paper, but I'll bet it was a little tenser behind the scenes. I'm not sure Zach, um, gracefully walked away so much as he was probably encouraged to uh step down and let them evaluate another driver so um that being said louise uh you followed uh zach Veach pretty much his whole career what are, you, what are your thoughts on this uh other than not really surprised the moment the whole gateway incident happened in race number one where it wiped out marco andretti alexander rossi and Veach, i could tell by the 
judgment of Michael Andretti when he the initial thought was that Vage instigated a whole ordeal, and I knew from there whether or not he eventually Michael I'm talking about saw the footage that it made him not been his father there was a lot of things factoring in. I knew from that point on that he was on borrowed times. So Vage was definitely on the hot seat from an overall perspective from that race team. So this dismissal, I'll put it lightly, is, it comes to no surprise. I figured if there was going to be one driver that probably won't be back in 2021, it would definitely be Zach Veach because he's, aside from Texas, he has not delivered. Well, to be fair, with the exception of Mid-Ohio, all the Andretti cars have struggled, not counting Colin Herta, who's been the most consistent and the strongest of the entire entity all season long. But Veach was typically the one behind Whereas, like, guys like Hunter Ray and Rossi and even Marco at Indy before the 500 race itself show flashes of brilliance. They just don't have the luck and results to show for. Veach has just been dwindling and dwindling, which was an absolute disaster. Veach is on a second straight year of a slump. You know, his, he, he wasn't too bad his rookie season. You know, in some of his... He had that you know, late season progress. Yeah. He was getting all those top five, top yeah, He was doing very well his rookie season. Then his, his sophomore season, uh, he fell into that sophomore slump that a lot of drivers experience, but he, he hasn't been able to dig out of it this year at all. At, at all. And um, so that's, it seems to be the you know end of his uh, tenure with Andretti. It, it could actually be the end of his IndyCar career uh, for the immediate future anyway, uh, because and there's just not a lot out there if, if he doesn't personally have the funding. Now, this is the interesting thing here. My Some of my sources tell me the, the Gainbridge money is actually staying uh, with Andretti Autosport, and that money will move over to Colton Herta's car. Now, we'll find out if that if that's true in, 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 the, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, but I find that interesting because Zach is the one who brought Gainbridge in with him. Gainbridge is... I guess Zach's pastor from his church is is one of the higher ups in in Gainbridge or the 1001 group as they used to be known, and Zach was able to broker that deal and bring it along. So it seems that possibly even the Gainbridge folks are a little uh, tired of the lack of results out of Zach Veach, and when they see, hey, we could put our name on this Colton Herta's car, uh, that seems to leave. Zach entirely out in the cold, and it's sad yeah. when you think when you think about some of the, you know, recent um, stars coming out of Indy Lights, and how brief some of their careers have been. And I mean, guys like Gabby Chavez, um, Ed Jones, yeah, these guys are no longer in the series after very brief IndyCar careers. And even even Oliver Askew, there's been some rumblings that his seat at McLaren is is maybe not safe next year. There, there's contrary information that says his seat is safe. But, um, yeah, I mean, just as a, as a feeder series, it's kind of sad that some of these guys, uh, recent champions of, of Indy Lights, have kind of fizzled very quickly. Of course, then there's other Indy Lights champions like Joseph Newgarden who, who really proved the validity of the program. Yeah, it's pretty much sink or swim with all those Indy Lights drivers coming up to IndyCar. Like you mentioned, Askew, he ever, I feel like ever since the 500, he's just been quiet. He's not, he's been non-factor ever since that hard lick. And sometimes when you think about a certain hard lick, will demoralize his driver's season. Like we talked about Pierre Gasser with Formula One with the preseason. It's just the morale can hit you on a low point, and that's what I fear about Askew. 
But for, for Veach, it's really disappointing because I remember two years ago at this time in Sonoma, California, that's when Gatebridge stepped up the program with the title sponsor, with the, the, the presenting sponsor of the Indianapolis 500, and of course supporting Veach. And now two years later, it seems like Veach is out the door, where, whereas Gatebridge are looking for somebody that they know that has proven they could be a force to be reckoned with, and, Holt, and Colton Herta has done that. Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, Colton Herta is certainly deserving of a big money full time sponsor. There, there's no doubt there that that kid is uh just keeps getting better and better. And and when he's on, he's on. Uh, we've seen him a couple times where he's just been unbeatable at the front of the field um, on a couple of occasions. So, but but moving on from there, let's talk about who's going to fill that seat. Now there. Like every name in the world has been bounced around from Nico Hulkenberg to Sergio Perez to Elio Castro Nevis. But I believe, I believe uh, the smart money is on a certain Mr. James Hinchcliffe, uh, who ran a couple races with Andretti uh, this year. He ran at Indy and he ran at Texas. And uh, I, I believe you'll see him in that car come the Harvest Grand Prix coming up. Um, uh, you know, unless my sources are totally wrong, I, I think that uh, Genesis has been happy with what they've been able to do uh, activation-wise, and they're seeing the opportunity for even more once we can bring, you know, fans back to racetracks on a regular basis. And I think that, uh, you know, Hinchcliffe has been working hard, hard, hard for a full-time deal. Um, and I think he's got some ties with some other folks as well. You know, when you figure Honda Canada, Petro Petro Oil Canada, uh, I think you're going to see Hinch in that uh, seat. But uh, you know, that's that's not a given. Uh, Louise, what are what are your some of the thoughts of who can maybe uh, hop in that Andretti seat? Aside from James Hinchcliffe, the other valuable option that will probably give him great exposure and much needed time due to the with the pandemic that halted a promising driver, and I'm looking at Kyle Kirkwood, who was supposed to be an Indy Lights driver this season before the pandemic canceled that Indy Lights campaign. And I feel like if he's going to seat at time, seating time, very important for Kirkwood. Sure, it may be a very dramatic leap from Pro 2000 to straight to IndyCar before even making an Indy Lights start. It's a bit of a challenge, but he might be a feasible choice to give him experience, give him like I said, seating time is very important for him, for any Indy Lights driver that was supposed to compete so he may not be a bad candidate at all, but at the end of the day Hinchcliffe is the number one guy because of the funding, he's already driven a couple races this season for Andretti in the 29 car he did pretty good in those races so put him in the 26 and if he delivers this maybe the more super crucial career renaissance that he's been needed because he he is a deba- pretty demanding driver like in the market is concerned yeah and uh you know factor into that I, I believe that he and michael still have a very good working relationship uh you know when they when they parted the first time it was you know not that that michael wanted him out of there by any stretch of the imagination it was the you know he originally uh GoDaddy was was all behind him and then GoDaddy decided to pull out of indycar racing and then the, he had the United Fiber Data uh, as a sponsor, which started out as a good sponsor, but, uh, you know, some of the rumblings were that they failed to make some of those sponsorship payments, and, and it, you know, it came down to a funding situation that, um, you know, that ended up with uh, Hinchcliffe moving over to the Schmidt-Peterson Racing, where where he was pretty good with them, too. So, I mean, Hinch is, uh, uh, you know, his he's not – 
so old that his best days are behind him. I think he's still got a lot to offer. Uh, I think when you get him in a prime situation like an Andretti car, um, he, he's only going to help the team. I, I believe he's a good uh, team player as well. Um, he got a, he got on well with the uh, his other teammates at the time he drove for them before. So I think it's a win-win. But but when you look at some of the other names we're seeing thrown around, um, like specifically Sergio Perez. Now, now Sergio Perez will come with plenty of funding, what my understanding is. Richard, is that yeah. correct? I believe so. Yeah, he's got the Cardinal Slim backing. You even have the former president, called Calderon, backing him. I'd imagine he has all that money from Mexico that will bring him, that will come along should a Formula One ride isn't available or just the options are not appealing to him. Yeah, there are a lot of people yeah. putting Sergio in a, in an IndyCar, uh, you know, because his name is mentioned with McLaren as well. Uh, but the only person you don't hear talking about IndyCar is Sergio Perez. So yeah. I, I think he still has his heart set on a destination somewhere in Formula One. So we'll see um, what happens there. Then, of course, the other name being thrown around is Elio Castro Neves. Um and he's Castro Nevis has been in the news lately saying he's got uh, four or five options in either IMSA or IndyCar. Uh, he really wants to be racing somewhere next year. But, of course, earlier today also, big announcement from Michael Shank Racing and Wayne Taylor Racing that they're going to be taking over the, um, the Acura DPI program from Team Penske. Now, that's the seat that Elio Castro Nevis occupies right now. Um, but when you figure, you know, Shank also has an IndyCar team, also runs at the Indy 500. Uh, he's, Shank's been wanting to run a second, um, you know, made his attention known to, to expand to a two-car team. This could be a good fit for Castro Nevis. Plus, he's already sure. winning races for Acura, and Acura seems to like him enough to put him in some of their commercials. So, why not? Yeah, I think it'll be a good seed because, of course, right now the Penske era is going to come to an end, very likely at this rate. So a new change, a team that has started that wants to go expand our IndyCar program to a two-car team. For Michael Shank, he 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 don't play. He, he, if he wants the best driver they can find, or they he feels like will deliver insurmountable success. So Elio and a second Michael Shank car will probably bode real well. And you mentioned about Acura's relationship. I think it's going to be superb. Now, if that thing does happen, I hope sometime around the realms they'll do the Parker Johnstone livery. Because if you haven't seen the Parker Johnstone Acura livery, it looks pretty boss. And I think it will look neat in the current car package that we got. But Elliot is a winner. He he wants to be back in IndyCar. I, and I, I, think, yeah. I think Elio and Jack Harvey would complement one another quite well. Yeah. Yeah, I think those two guys would work well together. They they both got a lot of personality, and they're both very driven to succeed. I mean, I I like Jack Harvey quite a bit. I I think a lot of him, and 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 we know uh, what Elio's level of talent is. So I I think those two guys, plus you know Shank's commitment, um, is could be a very wonderful thing. Yeah, in this day and age, you need you need a teammate in in the car, honestly. Harvey has done a phenomenal job all by his own. And sure, he got that Andretti alliance for a couple of years to rely on data and resources. But if he, if Harvey has that teammate, I think it will really gr- make him even stronger than he already is. 
because the days of single car teams, I feel like it's still not a terrible mm-hmm. choice. But if you got to have a team, it'll help you many, many, many years to come for sure. Certainly. Yeah. And now they do have the technical alliance with Andretti, but that's not quite the same as having having a you know a full uh, second team in your own garage. Yeah. All right. So moving on then. So we've talked about all these driver moves, and I wanted to circle back to Penske um, because mm-hmm. now. The the news is that Scott McLaughlin is set and ready to come to the state. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Basically, run the Harvest Grand Prix. We talked about it last week that there may be some uh, legal wranglings and loopholes uh, with COVID, but I, I, he's gotten all the approvals he needs. So Scott McLaughlin will debut as a Penske driver at the Harvest Grand Prix, and he'll, he'll run both legs of the doubleheader. Uh, that Did I be- heard Harvest or St. Pete, though? Huh? Oh, no, I'm, you're right. You're right. He, no, he's going to run at St. Pete. Or is it Harvest? See, now you got me second-guessing myself. St. Pete. Yeah, so Either way, okay, so Scott McLaughlin's going to debut as a Penske driver this year. Um, you know, the hot the hot rumor is that he's going to be a full-time Penske driver next year. Um, and then people wonder, well, who, who who's shown the door? You know, Roger has already kind of made it clear. He said back at the Indy 500 in August, I almost said he said back in May, but he said back in August uh, that all three of his drivers were expected to return. But if you if you think about the fact that, you know, Roger was running four cars for a while, and he, then he scaled back to two, and that coincided with him beginning the uh, Accurate DPI program. Now that they're leaving that program behind, you know, that, that opens up some staff members and some garage space f- to run four Indy cars, which is exactly what, you know, Chip Ganassi dropped his IMSA program and went ahead and added a third uh, car for Erickson, and now they're talking to adding a fourth car for Jimmy Johnson. So I really feel that uh, we don't need to worry about which of the the Penske trio is going to go away because I feel like they're all going to come back and have a fourth teammate named Scott McLaughlin. Yeah, I don't think there's really to worry who's going to be on the hot seat. Sure, Pagano, he did all of the Penske drivers have won at some point this season. Even if Pagano is the weakest out of the three right overall as of late, I see nobody being let go. So adding a fourth car for McLaughlin would be great. And here's a little side note. He's driving the number three car, not the number two like it was initially supposed to be for the GMR Grand Prix before all, everything that's happened this year. So there you have it. We probably found the new guy in the number three for the first time since Castro Nevis joined Penske in 2000. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see, 
Scott in the IndyCar because um, he was he was dynamite in testing, and then we haven't got to see him behind the wheel of an IndyCar since. And and we know the guy is dynamite in supercars, so uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So that'll be that'll be yeah. interesting to see how that pans out as well. Now, Richard, you've been kind of quiet over there. So what what are your thoughts on some of these uh, some of these IndyCar movers and shakers and and rumors and truths? It's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. You know, IndyCar has this, like, core stable of maybe 10 drivers, and then the other 10, 15 seats are on, like, a musical chair sort of basis, aren't they? You know, there's there's not a real depth of... of there's some very, very, very good drivers, but there's no... You know, very rarely do you see guys come in as a rookie and actually you know, have a, a career more than two or three years. Uh, probably the last one, I mean, Colin Hurt's probably going to do that. Um, Before him, you got to figure New Garden, yeah. Yeah, you know, so if you look at a rookie class, you know, every year a rookie class of, of five or six, you know, rookies that come through, one may, be, may get three years, and then once every three years, one of those rookies will get a career out of this. It's a very strange sort of, you know, and I think it's because... A lot of the established drivers are, and this isn't being disrespectful to them, older drivers. You know, they hang around a lot longer than they do in, say, Formula One. You know, you look at Scott Dixon at, what, 40? Is he 40 now? Or yeah, yes, he, he turned 40 this year, yep. Yeah. And, you uh, know, figure, yes, like Scott. Out, he, go ahead. You know, he's, yeah, I mean, Scott Dixon's probably got two or three years in, you know, in him at least. I mean, he's getting better and better almost every year. You know, and um, you've got other guys like, you know, Will Power. He must be in his mid to late 30s now, I'm guessing. I want to say Will's about 37, 37. Yeah. Just just uh, guessing. So in, in, in You know, for a lot of other, you know, categories, Form 1, for example, that would be retirement age. Um, but, it, you know, so, so maybe that sort of, you know, when a really talented driver comes along, they stick with them and they they'll milk them for everything they're worth in IndyCar. It that is slightly detrimental to the rookie classes that come through. You know, it's it's almost about timing and when you sit in the right seat at the right time. That yeah, like uh, Rossi. Yeah. Yeah, the Rossi yeah. Rossi got the right seat at the right time. Um, exactly. Like, mind you, he yeah. didn't he didn't come up through. Uh, the road to Indy, you know, he came over from from a Formula One career that did look like it was stagnant, not going anywhere, um, and, yeah. and hopped right I mean, in and performed right away. Not necessarily his fault. You know, no, no, not Formula at all. Career, it certainly wasn't his fault. It was who he, you know, he took the only drive that was available some, uh, at that time, and uh, it wasn't a particularly. <laughs> um, it wasn't the know. greatest scene. Effectively, they no. were dwell, they were in them still in mourning because of poor Jules. Yeah, passing. yeah, difficult position right. for him, yeah, but... and obviously that team, that did, team did fall soon after. But you know, you wonder if also maybe this revolving door of rookies maybe sort of depicts the level at which you know IndyCar is. It's not compared to something like Cup racing or Formula One. It's not quite at the same level of pinnacle of drivability and. And skill sets that the drivers needs to have. You know, I'm not saying that they're not good, but they're not the ultimate. There's, you know, a couple of little areas that they're maybe not quite so sharp on, and they they earn the right, you know, rightly to have a drive. But they, you know, there's so many of them in that 
category that they just get farmed in and out dirt cheap bring a sponsor on board and it keeps the um keeps the accountants happy at these smaller teams right well if you look at the core of guys that have been in the same seat for years i mean you know uh dixon has been in the same seat since 2003 will power has been in the same seat since 2009 um hunter ray's been in the same seat since 2010 um, <laughs> uh, Elio Castro-Nevis was in the Penske seat for uh, nearly two decades. Um, so, yeah. so like I said, there's not there's not a lot of movement once somebody does well and gets comfortable with the team. Yeah. Even those that are got established, like Simon Paschal, it took him a real long time to get comfortable with IndyCar. Remember, he was the highly touted road to Indy guy of his time when it was the Atlantic Series with Jamcar, but with the merger, he went to the sports car route for a few years and then ultimately ended up with Schmidt in the 77, and then finally he got that career that he people were touting him five or six years prior. It's a yeah, a lot of people don't realize him, Pagano and Power were teammates in the Jamcar Series in 2007. You know, some, yeah. some people don't realize that. It's just Power kind of... of had the good fortune of Elio Castro Nevis having some legal troubles and, and Roger needing a driver to, to put in a car right away. And, and Will made the most of that opportunity, whereas as Simon didn't find anything right away, like you said, Rasmus Force Car Races then made his way back to the series um, with, uh, with uh, Schmidt-Peterson, uh, where he was able to win some races with the smaller team and, and then end up in that Penske drive. It just, him and Will Power ended up in the same place. It just took Simon a little longer. But uh, but they're, they're both, I believe, securing those rides for you know for the immediate future anyway. Yeah, not just Patch and look at Forday. As great as he was, Champ Guard took him after Formula One. It took him a real long time to get back to IndyCar itself. So that's what I mean from earlier. It's a very sink or swim Entity American Open Wheels Racing is you got to deliver right on the fly. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait a long while or never get that opportunity again. Yeah, yeah, and even if you look at a guy like Tony Kanaan, who's been, you know, a staple in the series for, oh, I think his rookie year in cart was '98, um, but he's since his uh, uh, 7-Eleven money evaporated with Andretti, he's he's bounced from team to team and only had. You know, marginal good results here and there. Yes, he won the Indy 500 for 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 Vassar, and, and yes, he won one race with uh, in, the, in the number 10 car for Chip. But uh, you know, nowhere near the um, you know the the constantly being up front that he was when he was with that Andretti team. Yeah, definitely true on Canaan's end. So it's a very weird system, but that's just how people, the fans have been accustomed to for the longest of time, and that's how. It is compared to other sports is very different. Yeah, so the other team we could talk about a little bit more that we talked about last week is the Foyt team. Now, now we had mentioned the Foyt team has announced um, Sebastian Bourdais as their full-time driver. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't know if Foyt's going to run three cars, you know, because I believe Charlie Kimball is, still has funding to keep him, him in a car. I know I know Dalton Kellett has funding um, because uh, K-Line is his dad's company, and they're they're actually keeping him in the in the car. He's going to be in, in a third car at the uh, for the remaining races of the season as they bring Bourdais on board. Uh, but uh, I don't know if Foyt expands to three cars, keeps Charlie and 
um, Dalton or if one of those guys has shown the door. And, and if one of the guy, those guys has shown the door, they, they both have a check they can hand to somebody. Yeah, I think from what I understood is that Keller will have that third car. I don't know if it – how I remember is also through 2021 for the Indianapolis 500, but I probably pumped the brakes on that because I, I think that team will be fine as they are. We'll see. Because there's also this, I don't know, I, I'm not necessarily getting going to overthink it per se. There's this thing on Twitter that they're doing, like, like messages and all that on their Twitter account, the AJ Foyt team, like, something's going up. I don't know what it is, and I don't know if it has anything to related to the team or some sort of giveaway or vice versa. If I were you guys on Twitter, give it a check, see what it is. If it's nothing, then it's nothing. If it's something significant regarding the team's future, then... Uh, by golly, we'll definitely talk about it. But I don't see any changes on the point camp unless, unless, and I've been saying this pretty much throughout the year when all those rumblings about Paris, that may be a team available where he brings money, puts them on the team, maybe, who knows, the team will upgrade some things then and there to make sure Paris does well in IndyCar. Should he be interested, of course. I don't, yeah, I don't see Sergio Perez going to Foyt. I'm sorry. I see him in a third McLaren before that happens, but uh, anyway, anyway, that's the uh, that's the IndyCar breakdown. So uh, let's talk let's talk about NASCAR a bit. So we uh, we had a couple of races this weekend, but of course the the dominating news was the new team owners that announced their uh, new team, and that would be a certain Mr. Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. And we had talked about this rumor a few weeks ago, and their driver is going to be Bubba Wallace. And uh, as we alluded to last week, uh, you know, I, I felt like uh, Bubba wouldn't have announced he was stepping away from uh, from Richard Petty uh, had he not had something lined up. Now we see here here it is what he's lined up. So what are you, what are your thoughts on that, Richard? You you know some of those guys within the 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 Petty camp, don't you? Yeah, there's a few guys that uh, you know I've worked with uh, in the past that are there now, and. Uh, it's interesting, you know, move. Um, as you say, obviously there was an opportunity. You know, I, I don't think would have left um, if there wasn't this opportunity there. Denny's wanting to be doing this, you know, for a while now. He's 39. He's probably coming to the end of his. You know, he's probably got two or three years left at the top line of um, competition, and um, you know, he's, he's openly said he wants to stay in the sport past uh, his driving days. So it all fits. I know. Denny's a big basketball fan. He, you know, the, him and a lot of the drivers have these little three-on-three matches most evenings, sort of thing, and around by Lake Norman down in North Carolina, where a lot of them have their mansions. Um, so it's not a, you know, so, so that link to Michael Jordan's an obvious link there, really. And um, yeah, I, I think it's good for the sport. I think it attracts it. You know, I mean, this was news even in the UK on the sort of some of the BBC sports websites they covered this. Story, so it's, it's obviously gaining international attention, which is good for the sport. Yeah, you know, um, Michael Jordan is a very iconic name in in all of sports. Oh, for sure, and yeah, I'm pretty certain they'll be running the 23 next year. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah it, it, it's great. It's, it brings a fresh, you know, fresh, a, breath, a breath of fresh air to the sport when you see a lot of teams downsizing or completely folding you know obviously they've taken the Jermaine charter so Jermaine are, are disbanding for next year hopefully a lot of the people that um, currently work for Jermaine will find new jobs in the industry or will get transferred after this new team we don't know 
we don't know who the engine supplier is going to be. We don't know who the um, parent company will be from an alliance standpoint uh, for next year. We don't know what the team's going to be called, um, whether it's going to be affiliated to a corporate sponsor or whether it's the, the branding of, of Michael Jordan and Danny Hamlin in some way. But uh, no, it, it's a real shot in the arm for the sport that's been taking a lot of criticism for... Um, you know, struggling financially, that somebody, you know, guys like Michael Jordan, they're, they're very, very wealthy, obviously, from their sporting careers, but also they're pretty damn astute businessmen as well. You know, they know they know how to look after their money, and uh, you know, they wouldn't be doing this unless they can get a return on it. So I think it's great. I think it's a real boost for the uh, the sport. Yeah, now, have we heard anything? Are, are they going to build their own facility, or are they going to, to move into the existing facility of, of this charter they bought, or, or well, is it just too early to... Engine suppliers. I would have thought they'll be getting down the Toyota route, considering it's Denny Hamlin's being involved with You that. would imagine so, now, yes. Now, obviously, Jermaine are uh, an RCR charter at the moment, or, sorry, Alliance at the moment. And their, their their shop is based at the campus in well North Carolina. So if they do go down the Toyota route, then they'd have to look for new premises. Although, in all fairness, for, for a single car team, which I'm guessing they will be, there's plenty. You know, you don't need a huge amount of infrastructure there. Um, you know, there's plenty of uh, old disused race shops, unfortunately, around the Charlotte area. Oh yeah, there's um, plenty so, of them. Yeah. Yeah, so that won't be too hard to do. It just depends on who. I mean, if it's if it's a Toyota and the, there's a very close link there with Denny Hamlin, they may just run it out of the Joe Gibbs Racing Shop, you know, in the same way that Wood Brothers do with Penske, you know, and just one goes in one, one car goes in one hole, or another car goes in another hole. You know, um, I, I I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. And obviously, once we get beyond 2021 and into 2022, when they have the universal chassis and uh, universal bodywork. It'll allow smaller teams like this, and this may be one of the reasons why somebody like Michael Jordan is prepared to invest right now, because you're looking at the bigger picture there, what the financial play will be in two, three, five years' time, um, and, and potentially the, the health of sport is, is far more sustainable with the new um, universal chassis, for want of a, a better phrase. Yeah, now, my only concern is that uh, there's there's a bit of a history of, of big names in sports getting involved in racing is on a kind of a, a hobbyist or, or a financial backer basis and and leaving after a short time. Other than other than Joe Gibbs, um, yeah. who, who really made a commitment, you, you've got, uh, you know, the racing landscape is littered with names like Jerry Glanville, Walter Payton uh, was involved with uh, IndyCar Racing. Joe Montana was a, a part owner of Chip Ganassi's team for a while. And all these guys have kind of just done it on a very fleeting basis, basis, and then kind of kind of backed away when they saw that uh, how expensive racing was, and how much yeah, of their like, their own money was going into it. You know, I say, other than with the exception of Joe Gibbs, uh, who 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 you know did things right and and really had a commitment to wanting to do it. Um, that's why that's why I just wonder if this you know this is like Michael Jordan. Let me try baseball for a bit. You know. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I think if you look at it. It shows a lot that um, what's the, what's the best way to put this? They are, you know, somebody like Denny Hamlin has been around the sport long enough. He knows what's involved with it. I don't, for one moment, think that you know Denny and probably Michael Jordan haven't talked to Joe Gibbs about this, you know, and 
got his ear on it and got his input and got his advice, you know, on how to do this. Um, so I, I think that if Michael Jordan just done it himself just off the bat with no driver input and no, then you would be a little bit more sceptical. But the fact he's got Denny on board, and this is a long-term play. You know, Denny's been talking about doing this for a, a number of years now, post his own driving career. So he's obviously going to want to make a success of it. You know, Bubba Wallace has got, what, a three-year contract or a multi-year contract to drive for them. Um, so I, I really don't think that this is the scenario where it's, uh, oh, I'm going to stick you know $10 million into it and then two or three years later get bored and go and play in another sandbox. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I think Michael said it for the long haul. Those people forget. Let's not forget. This is not his first time being involved in racing ownership. He he done it in the past, like a, over a decade and a half ago when he had that AMA Pro Superbike team that only lasted about a couple years before that went under. I think mm-hmm. this time around he understands it. It's something that he likes. He's been passionate about NASCAR for the longest of time, dating back to well, the eighties. Yeah. yeah, well, he's yeah, a Nor- he's a North Carolina guy, okay. so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, he's, he's raising the you know, backyard of NASCAR, so. And, and yeah, also I, you have to look at the the other side of it as well. You know, with working with a guy like Bubba, who in the last six months has done quite a lot from a, a social standpoint and a equality standpoint. Yeah, he got twenty know, million dollars worth of sponsorships he's going to bring for them too. Yeah, you know, this is obviously a great platform. You know, for somebody like Michael Jordan to to go into a a very um, historically conservative arena. And, and and really sort of try and, um, you know, push his message. Because when you're looking for, um, like a lot of these high-profile athletes are, you know, to try and encourage the, as I say, social equality message, when they're doing it in their own arena, like, you know, football players and basketball and, and baseball, there's a, a pretty generic sort of concept of, of yes, of course they're going to, you know, of course they're doing this because it's, you know, there, there's a, a large mixture of races and ethnicities in these sports. NASCAR is very, very, very insular, for want of a better word. You know, most people grow up in Virginia, North Carolina or South Carolina that work in the industry. And, you know, most of them have a certain demographic background. But this now gives the opportunity for, for people like Michael Jordan and, and uh, Bubba Wallace to increase the profile of their social justice cases and really take that message into a different arena. And, um, you know, I think it's fantastic from, from that standpoint that, you know, a guy like you know, his profile and his background can turn around and say, look, you know, we're going to go potentially into a, and, and I've never seen any of it from my standpoint, but what some people would consider a hostile environment and, um, you know, try and deliver that message. I think it's a great move. For sure, for sure. That's why I don't see this being like a Dan Marino or a Jim Harbaugh, Troy Aikman kind of thing where they're just going to arrive and fade away in a matter of a few years when it comes to ownerships from athletes of the past. And you look at right, I right, yeah. seen it, that uh, the Michael Jordan documentary that's been on Netflix this year, you know, mm-hmm. that guy is in, that guy is intense. Yep. It's, you know, as one former YouTuber sports personality say Michael Jordan's the winner and that's he's going into that mindset of winning. Yeah. Well I think far more than his Charlotte 
Charlotte Hornets. I almost said Bobcats because I still deny the fact I want to call it the Hornets. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, my only concern with all of that is that the media tends to focus on that social message more than the, the actual racing and, and the product on the racetrack. You know, it's like if you can, you rarely see an article that mentions Bubba Wallace that doesn't happen to mention he's the only African American racer in NASCAR, and of course, all of the. Um, you know, media coverage of Michael Jordan getting to the sport. I had to mention he's the first African-American car owner in more than 50 years. Um, you know, and I... Which isn't necessarily uh, true. It isn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily true, but, but at, 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 the, like at the same time, I, I just hope there's not too much uh, distraction um, from them getting to the business of uh, building a competitive race car. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I, I don't mean internal. I mean external distraction. You know where yeah. where we need to hey because you know when it's it's a lot of hard work to win races, Richard, and and you oh, yeah. and you know that. So uh, uh, you know, he's, so he's I, coming in now. But you you know to the same extent, you he's coming in now, and I know it's his own personal money, and that's probably going to be the richest NASCAR team in terms of resources, financial resources available to them. You know, yeah. as an individual, he's probably wealthier than Rick Hendrick and Joe Gibbs and Roger Penske and Richard Childress and all of these guys probably put together. You know, you don't realize what level somebody like Michael Jordan is. And he's a brand ambassador for other sports outlets. and He'll be able to bring those in. He'll bring Nike and he'll bring, you know, all the other, you know, groups in, um, you know, yeah, you to, even have a couple to, books to this pot. And yeah, you guys, you got like Bubba Watson from the golf fame trying Try yeah. to get a, a slice of that pie. And, one, and another thing, what's forgotten about this horror deal is that we're losing another 10-year cup team. First, it was Levine Family Racing, and now we're going to lose Germain, who's been in the game for almost two decades, when you consider the truck series program board, that's where they started. Which just leaves Ty Dillon without a ride, and there's this talks of, I've heard, when I have with a couple of the NASCAR folks from another outlet that I contribute every now and then, where could Ty want to drop to Xfinity or become a trainer like a Josh Wise or just be a family man? Where does he go? Yeah, where I does know many he, he goes? The half helmet will travel like a, like a lot of unemployed race yeah. car drivers. Yeah, so but it's interesting the two uh, the two teams that you talk about they're going to the uh, you know Jermaine and uh, LFR. You know. It's interesting how they both had uh, major attachments. I know LFR did move on, but they both had a, a major attachments with RCR. And you look how RCR shrunk in the last oh, yeah. few years as well. Ever since the 95 and 59, when Ty ran, McDowell was in the other yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, there seems to be a common link there, unfortunately. And, uh, and you know, Petty obviously are now very closely linked to RCR, and they're struggling. It, you know, that whole... Chevy branch that's based around RCR does seem to be struggling. You know, the Hendrick Chevy branch seems to be doing reasonably well. But, um, yeah, it's a shame that a lot of people seem to have been caught up in that one and a lot of these smaller teams. Um, yeah, it is so, absolutely yeah. shame right now because that just leaves more employees out of a job or trying to find a job in this late in oh, the yeah. season. And with this pandemic, it certainly has no wonders because they might want to stick with the guys that they have, and also the limited amount of folks they'll allow. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I wanted to circle back to from 
conversation we had a few weeks ago regarding Denny Hamlin and becoming a team owner. I believe it was our colleague Seth who had said that because Denny Hamlin is a part of a four-car team, he's not allowed to have an ownership stake in another team. I've not heard this mentioned at all in any of these announcements. So is that is that a loophole he's exploiting? or? I feel like what Steve Phelps told to the media inner circle, the main ones, that it's been settled down a bit. It's not like a big, big of a fuss. So there is a loophole where Denny's okay because Denny's the minority owner and MJ is the principal main owner of that squad. So it makes it more reasonable. And... I feel like Denny has spoken with those higher-ups with NASCAR before committing to that ownership. Because before this announcement, Denny said that for a while he'd been want, like Richard said, he's been wanting to do it for years, but the appeal of it wasn't there. I, I guess there's now that may be one of the reasons why he decided, okay, is now is the time. Yeah, well, or, I mean, Michael Jordan is the perfect partner. Yeah, maybe that's that's and, a lot of appeal I mean, right there. It'd be stupid of NASCAR to block it. I mean, there's not exactly people clambering over each other to become team owners right now, are there? Yeah, because they're, where teams are dropping like flies, having exactly. a Michael, having somebody that is going to be committed to it, like Michael Jordan, is going to be key. It doesn't hurt because right now, what do we have? I think I even looked it up. There's been only 52 drivers that competed at least one cup race this season, which is the all-time low. Oh, wow. Yeah, 52 drivers this season, including the ones who are not competing for cup points. Last year was the lowest at around over 60. We're talking about five years, almost 10 years ago, we still had 70, 80 drivers competing on an annual basis, at least one race. Now we're down to barely 50. So it's, so you'll need some, of course, that's different for drivers because these back markers have different drivers every other race. But having somebody that is invested that's going to probably be pretty competitive and not like a backmarker well, is probably what NASCAR would need to make it more appealing to others. And I'm sure Kyle Busch will probably appreciate a, a competent team after what happened to Bristol. Yeah, that's a, speaking of which, we need to talk about Bristol. Um, <laughs> so so uh, Kevin Harvick took another win, um, continuing to you know, put his stamp on this season and saying, you know, this, this, this is all mine. I believe somebody posted on Twitter the other day, just hand, hand Harvick the damn trophy already. I'm like, well, that's not how playoffs work, but, but whatever. Yeah. Harvick has been spot on this year, uh, but he had a pretty good, pretty good battle with Kyle Bush before, as Kyle put it, that, what, what, did he, what did he come? These stupid kids, the, the stupid dip blank kids like Garrett Smithley and Joey Gates. Oh, that's right. He called them, away. yeah, stupid dipshits. He, yeah. So, well, and, Louis, and, yeah, Louise. he was not happy with Logano for kind of impeding him because Logano made it tough on Kyle. But if Kyle would have won, then maybe the thing would have been Reed Sorensen. Harvard would have been probably upset with Reed Sorensen because – in that battle, resources basically stopped the middle of the track and gave Kyle the advantage. But Kyle's uh, Harvick, excuse me, had the much stronger card he was able to get by Kyle, and also he got Bush got held up by Logano. So that's why he was very upset because he was this close to finally getting that first win of the season. But again, the black cars pretty much bit him. And you know how Kyle is when he doesn't win; he's not the happiest person to be around or talk to. Really? Yeah, his wife's had a miserable year, isn't it? Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna uh, say. It's 2020. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, uh, so what, what's, what's the, what's the over under that Kyle Busch goes, goes winless this year? There's still a couple tracks that I feel like he can't get the job done. Vegas, he might have a shot. Other than Vegas, I feel like Texas might be his last resort. Other than that, I do fear that Kyle could go winless if he doesn't step it up this week, nor or at come late October at Texas. Those are the only two tracks I see him winning. Anywhere else, not happening. Um, so when's the last time they – Sitting champion went winless the following season. I'm trying to I'm trying to think. I'm thinking Dale Earnhardt in 1981. I don't know if he won in 81 though. Uh, that's going way back. Yeah, we need Seth here. He would he would know that right off the bat. So, but oh, yeah. certainly nobody recently. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. It had to be Kowicki in '93. Well, okay. Well, the, the guy the guy died. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I, okay, like yeah. Yeah, yes, Kowicki didn't win any races in 93. But, but, yeah, he, but it was, it was, circumstances is the reason why that's Right, right, yeah. I mean, well, I'm talking a guy who's competed the full season, you know what I mean? Or, you know, obviously. You didn't say that, did you? Okay, so so Kowicki, yeah. <laughs> so one of, one of my favorite drivers of all time, by the way. I was, I was, yeah. I was very sad that April 1st, 1993, when, uh, when I heard that news. Um, yeah, because he was a he was a he was a good dude. Um, yeah, he just made me sad talking about uh, my old favorite driver, yep. Alan Kowicki. So, uh, but yeah, I guess just Kyle could certainly go winless. It is not out of the question. Uh, he could also <laughs> stay just just far enough in the points to to keep himself in the chase and actually win the championship and go winless. It, yep, it, it could happen under the current playoff system. I'm just saying. Yeah, I would not be terribly surprised. And you're going to think you put me on the spot when I tried to think who it was because I knew in the back of my mind, Earnhardt in 81, he, he went winless after winning five and 80 in his championship campaign. But right, speaking of Harvick, going back to Harvick a little bit, he now has nine wins. If he wins one more time, he'll be the first driver since Jimmy Johnson to win at least 10 races in a cup season. But, and and the record is what, 13, Jeff Gordon? Yep. In the modern era, modern era record, of course. Yeah, 13 in 1998. And also he's on the pace, probably breaking Jeff Gordon's top 10 record from 07, which was 30. Harvick would have to finish out the season in the top 10 to surpass him at 31. If he misses one race and if he doesn't finish in the top 10 at least once, he'll equal Gordon and only equal Gordon for the time being. Hmm. So he's having a monstrous season. He, he really is. He really is, yeah. I mean, see, he's he's not worried about this no practice qualifying stuff. No, no, it doesn't really. doesn't bother Harvick. Nope, I tell you nope. so. <laughs> so speaking of which, uh, Bristol was an elimination round, correct? Yep. So and who's uh? Bags are De Benedetto, Ryan Blaney, <laughs> Cole Custer, and who, William Byron. And Byron, going back to back back markers and Joey Gase, he played a pivotal role on William Byron's device because he, according to Byron, he stopped Gase in front of Christopher Bell, and Byron ran into Bell, and that ended his shot of making the play the next round. So he, that was the only major incident, but several others just struggled back and forth with tire woes, vibrations, power steering. But after Byron, the, t- the, the, the 
the 12 remaining drivers was practically set, for the lack of better terms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys, those yeah. guys at the very back were, had been in the back for the the duration of the the early part of the playoffs. So, so I mean, what are Blaney's your what are the, what uh, are your the big surprise there, isn't Certainly, yeah. yeah, yeah. I expected so much more out of Blaney this year, but he was just kind of, you know, he was never just really up there contending for for wins. On a regular basis, like really like I thought he would be this year. Yeah, it seems like as soon as he has a setback, he never capitalizes too good on those. Like Darlington with the points penalty and all of that, that from there, it was just insurmountable for him. And that's something he really needs to work on. Otherwise, he's just going to be known as the one-win-per-season guy out of nowhere driver. And that's yeah. not what he wants. He's better and he's than that, public, Yeah, and he's publicly said he doesn't want to be that guy that wins on an annual basis and only once. He wants to be a guy that can win and prove it. And I thought Bristol was the spot for it to finally get that elusive win. It's under ballot, but it wasn't meant to be at all for young Ryan Blady. So now he's just going to have to step it up and prove his worth. Yeah, but, uh, you know, as we go deeper into playoffs, it's looking more and more like the Kevin Harvick show. And again, you still have Danny, though. And you I think still have Danny, and you, and you still have, you know, Keselowski, who has a tendency to pull a win out of nowhere um, during the playoffs. Yeah, Kostowski is so. probably the dark horse. People say Almirola. I still feel like Kostowski could still find that little spark that will probably stomp Hamlin and Harbrick on a perfect day like he did at Richmond. Right, yeah, he's got to have a perfect day. Yeah, because there, there have been so many times Kostowski's car has been either good on a short run or on a long run, but never on both. And, yeah. and, and, and that can work for you. If the, the cautions fall when you need them to, and and anyone that's watched racing that you know the cautions never fall when you need them to, right? No, so, not at all. Not at all. So, uh, yeah. Then of course the other the other guy right up there that, that I've got to say has a shot at at stealing this thing from one of those other guys is Chase Elliott. Yeah, and like like Blady, it's just certain circumstances that he needs to capitalize. But at the very least. He's capitalized. He's been more of a capitalizer, way more better than Blaney. That's for sure. Look at the Roll Boy year ago. We thought that's it. He's done. He's not going to win after dominating. And then he bounces back. Several cautious fell in his lap, which is something very important. He won the darn thing. So yeah, never count Elliott out. He's just like Keselowski. Needs, everything needs to fall on his lap perfectly to get When's the job done. The... We we still got to go back to the Roval, haven't we, at Charlotte? This yeah, we year. got Vegas, Roval, and Talladega. Yep. Okay, so year. Elliot's going to uh, be in at least the last eight, then, isn't he? <laughs> yep. Because that's what you know, He's going to be. He's going to be close. At, you know, he's going to be close at the Roval. You know, he's he's he's, if you like, the road course ringer right now, isn't he? Um, so you yeah, Elliot, to at Truex, least... Hamlin, Harvick, those are the usuals of the road. Yeah. Race. So you'd imagine that um, you know Elliot's going to be pretty close. Um, and he's going to, all of his eggs are going to be in that basket uh, because he's, well, uh, no, um, Alex Bowman's still in the playoffs, didn't they? So, yeah, you know, he's Hendrick, wildly Hendrick still putting some decent runs. Yeah, it's Bowman yeah, so and Albert Roland the... needs to really get going. I think they'll yeah. be safe, but they really need mm-hmm. to get going in the round eight to be a legit threat. Right now they're doing fine, but they need to step it up a notch in this round to say, okay, these guys are hungry. These guys could probably be a Ryan Newman or a Joey Logano of the past and make it to that championship four. Because right now it's yeah. Because right now it may not be as compelling, 
compared to other playoffs, but come round of eight, I think it's going to get as good as it could yeah. get. And I think it helps as well this year that because of the qualifying restrictions, the top 12, the top eight, the top four will always be in those positions. You're not going to have somebody qualifying back in 16th or 17th. You know, you're going to have the guys that are at the front that need to battle at the front straight away at the start of every race, which I think is, 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 is really good for the, for the spectacle there. I think that's how it should be done anyway. They can have their own qualifying battle, but... You know, the playoff guys always start at the front. I, I, I don't like this where they can be shuffled back in the pack. I think that just sort of denies you a little bit of, you know, shoulder, you know, broad shoulders at the start of the race. Yeah, it keeps everybody at bay, and then that should tell us who's just, who's going to be competitor, competitor, competitive. Yes, <laughs> it's a hard word to say, man. Yeah, speaking. Speaking yeah, of which, speaking of so. Richard, Richard, I want to get your thoughts on the playoffs, okay? Uh, we've had this playoff format for a couple of years now. And all, I, I felt like, the, you know, the first three races of the playoffs here, is, is, it's almost a throwaway. Because it just, it just eliminates the guys that weren't going to go anywhere anyway. So, I, I mean, when they expanded yeah. the check, because it used to be, what, 10 guys, then they made it 12, then they made it 13 to let Jeff Gordon win here. Now it's 16. Do we need 16 guys no. in the playoffs? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because they've got to get a number whereby you win a race and you're in. So they're going to, you know, I'm sure they looked at, well, how, on average, how many rate, you know, in the first, of the 36 races you typically have in the first 20, 20 or 24 or whatever it is, number of races, in the first period of the season, you know, on average, how many race winners do you have? And they wanted it so that if you won a race, you were locked into the playoffs. And it's ironic they use this phrase, locked into the playoffs, if you win a race. Because technically, I don't believe under the rules you are. If you have 17 race winners, there's still one race winner that will get bumped out of the playoffs. Well, yeah, plus there's the other contingency rules. You have to compete in so many races and make your – because there was the guy that won Daytona last year that – uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't eligible for the playoffs. That was a spire. Wasn't spire. It? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember the guy's name. Justin, Justin, uh, Justin Haley. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, you know, you got obviously the exemptions that you've seen in the past for Kyle Busch when he, uh, you know, broke his leg in that Daytona wreck and, and missed a dozen races or so, yeah, and came back and won the championship. The but it's, it, yeah, you have to be in the top thirty in points, driver and or owners, depends on the circumstances. You have to stay in the top thirty to be eligible and have competed in every single race. Unless you get the medical waiver, which isn't hard to get. Yes. Yeah. Well you can get the waiver yeah. for so it, for legal action too. The the Kurt Bush the Kurt yeah. Bush waiver. There's a Kurt Bush waiver, the Kyle Bush waiver, and then there's the Tony Stewart waiver. We we've seen that the, yeah. the, the waiver isn't actually that hard to get. And now you have the COVID waiver for Austin Dillon. Yes. And Jimmy Johnson, but Dillon made it, not Johnson. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I think that, um, yeah, is 16 too many? I don't know. I For Cup, I think it's okay. Xfinity with 12, I think you could cut it to 10. Trucks, yeah, I think you're right. Back to 8. I think you're right in Xfinity, yeah. I just, I just wonder... Partly a little bit of um, the, the issue I have with this whole playoff system is, you know, it it devalues some of the in-season races. You know, some of the some of the you know uh, races this year, they're I don't want to say this in a negative way, but when you have somebody like Kevin Harvick winning so regularly, you know, 
where's the benefit from him? Once he's won a couple of races, he's you know he is locked into the playoffs. But then where's you know he's just you you wonder what benefit it brings to you know say I don't know a Dover race or a uh, you know Pocono race or a Kansas race or a you know one of these races that you know Harvick just goes out and dominates. Oh great, he's won another one. Well, what? Where is you know how does that differentiate that race from from something else? You know it doesn't make it stand out. And partly I think the issue there is that NASCAR has too many races and it goes to the tracks you know more than once. I, I think that it should limit a, it's. I know it's difficult because you need to get the revenue from the spectators, but when you go to a track twice a year, it, I think it does devalue the show a little bit. And yeah, yeah, it's some very of the difficult. To, yeah. But then you have, you know, but then it's sort of well, you know, you go to Daytona twice, or you go to, um, you know, some of the you know Charlotte, Charlotte twice, twice yeah. at a bigger place, you know. Yeah, but yeah, other still, tracks like Texas, do you, you really need two races at the same track, or or maybe Pocono? They're tr- at least NASCAR yeah. is trying to juggle it out to make it more feasible and end the season a little bit more quicker with the double headers or just having one race like Dover was supposed to be this year. And, and you know, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? And this isn't just motor racing. I think it's every sport that you see out there has had to react during this very, very difficult 2020. And it's almost given them an opportunity to go, oh, you know what? We can do things differently here. We can do doubleheader weekends. We can compress the race weekend into two days or one day or do something like, you know, really mix it up. Do, do something different when they've been sort of set in their ways for the last 20 plus years. Yeah, it'll be interesting um, how Emila goes with the Formula One guys. I think they'll do a bang up job when they get there with the two day event. Yeah, I mean, if you you know you look at the playoffs, you know, here's an idea: if you want to make the playoffs you know a bit more exciting in NASCAR, you got 16 cars. You know, instead of having um, you know three playoff events, you know, each week you knock out a driver until you get down to the final four. So every week is an elimination race for one driver. Oh, I, I like that I, idea. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen I think, like, Grip Dog on YouTube made something about it, or something like it, where the, the one who's the bottom of the barrel are done, and yeah. that's all it is within that and, concept. And, you know, even, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know, but, you know, cause, because then you'd be penalizing people for just having one bad race, wouldn't you? you yeah. Know, is that really only, what you <laughs> want to do? You know, you sure as hell wouldn't go to a super speedway with that sort of mentality, would you? <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 I don't know what the answer is. I think they've got to do something just to reinvent it a little bit. Um, they've tried doing it with the races, with the stage points and all that sort of stuff. I don't think that's really worked. Um, the yeah, we'll just have to see what the future brings, because uh, we're we're about out of time yeah. here tonight. So, uh, so we're off to, um, where we off to next at NASCAR, Vegas, Vegas next, and Formula One. We're racing at Sochi. Sochi. Okay, so yep. with the with the, with the crowd, right? And Lewis Hamilton has a chance to uh, match Michael Schumacher for the top of the all-time list. So that'll be uh, correct. And I think the stage is. I think Mercedes have won every race in Sochi, so... Yeah, they've been champions down here for over a century, well, 107 years in county. Uh, well, yeah, okay, so if you yeah. take the uh, the early races and ignore the fact they didn't race there for <laughs> years and years yeah. and years, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I you that. like that theory. And also the Netflix crew are there for Mercedes this week. Right, right. I, I've heard that so as well. We all, happened, we all know what happened last time we did that. So for anybody that wants hope for Mercedes century reign of terror in Russia, maybe there's your hope, but I don't really see that happening. I'm going with Hamilton as the winner and tie Michael. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't tie Michael this week, it's just a matter of time where he's, uh, you know, I'm going to throw I'm going to throw Bottas in there because I mean you know he's won it a couple of times that's where he won his first race he does mm-hmm. seem reasonably quick around there you know that's one of the tracks that but I mean even when he was he was with us at Williams you know I remember that clash he had with Kimmy um, you know there a few years ago so he's you know he can he can pedal pretty quick around uh, Sochi so uh, yeah I, just to mix it up please Bottas all right please. <laughs> that's a first that's the escape for him he's got to come in like a mad mad hungry to win after that disaster of a race for him in the yep, grand yeah. scheme But he does that, doesn't he? You know, the, the number of races we've seen this year, you know, he's, he's, fra- practiced, you know, he's fastest in FP1 and FP2, fastest in FP3, and you think, okay, he's got Hamilton's number here, and then, uh, you know, it just, yeah, Hamilton just has that little bit in reserve. So maybe he doesn't need to come out all glazing. Maybe he needs to be a little bit reserved and then build himself up to to qualifying rather than put all his cards on the table in on Friday and yeah, Saturday well, we'll, morning. We'll see what happens Friday and Saturday morning. But but until then, we're out of time. Yeah. We were out of time when I said the first time. We're still out of time. So <laughs> we don't even have time for green-white checker right now. So, But I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank you, Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Spreaker. And I want to thank you folks that listen to us. Until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.